the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, where people who have needed blood thank the donors who have saved prolonged or improve their lives. My name is Kate Fisher. I'm the creator of Milkshakes for Mali, an award-winning Australian storyteller and a change maker. I'm on a mission to end the persistent critical blood shortages in Australia. Inspired by my seven-year-old daughter, Mali, who started receiving life-saving blood products when she was just three. She is currently in remission from autoimmune encephalitis, and we have Australian plasma donors to thank for keeping her alive. Marley will be dependent on blood donors for the rest of her life, as for her, blood products are life-saving when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between. This podcast is a creative solution to a social problem, which is persistent critical blood shortages in Australia as not enough people donate blood. One in three Australians will need blood in their lifetime, and yet only about one in 30 eligible Australians donate. And it's my mission to change that, while thanking as many blood donors as I can reach along the way. Over the next two weeks, the pod will seem a little bit different. There'll be a lot more episodes in a shorter amount of time, and you will hear the most incredible Australian stories from blood recipients and their loved ones. And I'm hoping that after hearing these episodes, that Milkshakes for Mali listeners will join me in my blood donation advocacy. And there is a number of ways that you can get involved. Number one is the obvious one. Book a, an appointment to make a blood donation by calling Lifeblood on 13 14 95 and become a member of the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team. I'll put links in the show notes on how to do this, but really it's as simple as calling and making an appointment um, and either during that phone call or when you turn up for your blood donation, telling a staff member that you'd like your blood donation to be added to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team tally. Um, you can then become a lifetime donor um, for our Lifeblood team and you don't have to add it again next time you go in to donate. Number two is like, share, rate or review this episode and previous ones. Send episodes to friends, particularly if they are blood donors and you can let them know that this podcast is presented in standalone documentary style episodes. Um, and it's my hope that there is something in our catalogue of episodes now of interest to nearly everybody. Um, we've got so many different episodes across so many different topics. So I'm hoping if you have a scroll through, there are names that you will know or different stories that you can relate to. Um, and there's absolutely no need to listen to them in order or even listen to every episode. And remind your friends that if they have ever been a blood donor, that they may, may be responsible for saving, prolonging or improving the quality of life of one of my podcast guests. And please check out our new website. It's www.milkshakesformarley.org. Marley spelled M-A-R-L-E-I-G-H. And it's all one word, no numbers. 
Um, and here you can find information and photos of Marley's journey to diagnosis and the impact that blood products have had on saving her life, her recovery, her rehabilitation, and how much her seizure response and autism service dog Patty enriches her life. And while you are there on that website um, or on any of our socials, please follow the links to vote for Milkshakes for Marley to win the Oz Mumpreneur People's Choice Award for Making a Difference. The work that I do and this podcast um, have been shortlisted as a finalist in category number 10, which is social enterprise and not-for-profit and also global brand, which I'm so proud of um, as this isn't just being recognised as an international, as a national award, but it recognises the international reach of this podcast and the way that it's recruiting blood donors from all over the world. It recognises the global importance of blood donation um, and that blood donation is an incredible act of kindness and humanity and that transcends any borders that we have nationally or internationally. Um, so yes, please jump on our website or on the socials, um, Milkshakes for Mali on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or on our new website to vote, or you can vote on the Oz Mumpreneur website. I will pop links to all of those things in the show notes. Now, to introduce you to today's guests, um, it's the incredible Carly and Tresne, who are mamas of little Poppy Grace. They've done so many other things in their lives and their career, and they've had such a big impact, but I'm sure that's the thing that they're the most proud of. But I will just let you know at the beginning of today's chat that while this is actually a really joyful and beautiful episode filled with so much love and beautiful anecdotes of the time that Poppy Grace had on this earth, um, it does discuss the passing of this precious baby girl from childhood cancer and pregnancy loss. Um, so if that doesn't feel right for you right now, um, it might be a good time to tune out and pick another episode in our feed and maybe just pop some headphones on if you've got little people around. Carly and Tresne rose to fame at the height of the reality television boom as contestants on the wildly popular cooking show, My Kitchen Rules. But little did they know that their fame would be dwarfed by that of their daughter, Poppy Grace, who captivated the hearts of people all over the world as she fought childhood leukemia. If you aren't familiar with their story, I suggest that you pause this episode and go and have a look at Carly and Tresne's socials. I'll pop a link in the show notes um, so that you can truly understand the infectious joy, charisma and resilience of this beautiful baby girl. Um, as she danced her way through brutal treatments in an attempt to save her life. One of the most heartbreaking realities for Carly and Tresne was the limitations placed on the amounts of treatments that Poppy could receive during um, her treatment and her time with childhood leukaemia due to a shortage in blood donations and critical blood shortages. This is something that has been persistent in Australia, especially during and post-pandemic, and something that through the work of this podcast and my blood donation advocacy work that I'm desperately working to end. When I interviewed Carly and Tresne, they were freshly bereaved, having only lost their little poppy five months earlier. And what I didn't realise at the time was that they were in fact pregnant again having just confirmed their pregnancy on what would have been Poppy's second birthday. Heartbreakingly, they have just let the world know um, that their pregnancy has ended in a miscarriage with no heartbeat being detected at their 11-week ultrasound. 
Uh, after we finished recording the episode, I actually stayed on the call for a while with the girls um, and we chatted for probably another 45 minutes after I stopped re recording about motherhood, navigating pregnancy after loss, surviving bereavement. Again, I had no idea that they were pregnant at the time. But what really struck me during that chat was just their fierce love for each other, the way they glowed with love when they were given the space to talk about Poppy outside the context of her cancer, um, just about the little girl that she was and how much they love her and the joy that she brought to their lives and the lives of people around them and the passion that they have to honour her legacy in their blood donation advocacy um, and to improve childhood cancer treatments into the future. Through this episode, you will hear us talk about the work they're doing to support the Children's Cancer Institute and their passion to ensuring that the future, in the future, Australian children have access to precision medicine and life-saving treatments that are targeted to the unique disease profiles and sets of circumstances of each child. I'd followed along with Poppy Grace's journey and as a girl who grew up in country New South Wales, not too far from where Carly and Tresnay's hometown of Newcastle is, I'd been aware of them from the time of them founding and growing um, the Happiness Mission, which is now known as Teacher Professional Development, um, where they were providing training and resources for primary and secondary school teachers to deliver their, to, de to deliver to their students. They recognise that nurturing our teachers makes for happier classrooms and contributes to positive learning outcomes. These two women are truly remarkable and I'm absolutely thrilled to have them as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. So to share their love story, journey to creating a family, having their newborn baby diagnosed with leukaemia, the treatments, bone marrow transplants, laughter, joy, dancing, beautiful, beautiful, adorable little baby girl in glasses, heartbreak, hopelessness, fierce advocacy and love, and every blood transfusion in between. I give you my chat with Carly and Tresnay as they thank the Australian blood donors who gave them a bonus year and a half with their baby girl, Poppy Grace. So on today's episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, we welcome Carly and Tresnay, um, beautiful, beautiful mamas of the beautiful Poppy Grace. Um, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and community. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have seen your beautiful faces pop up in the media plenty recently and the beautiful thing of being a blood donation advocate and in the work that I do is nothing is more exciting than having some stiff competition because that means everybody's working towards the same goal. <laughs> so um, it's been absolutely beautiful seeing the work that you guys have done um, around little Poppy and her second birthday being in June and encouraging people to donate blood. Um, before we get too much into her story, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you guys first. Um, I'm sure our listeners will be familiar with your names, but the beginning of any little family is the connection between parents. So can you tell me a little bit about how you guys met and fell in love? Yeah, so we met at our best friend's 21st mm -hmm. and we um, have pretty much been inseparable ever since. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we yeah we just 
hit it off and Chesney was going to Whistler to work a season there in the snip in the snow mm-hmm. and um so we started off pretty like I would only see her every second week and yeah, yeah so long distance to start with and uh, now we're 17 years strong so yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. But we we tried um uh the IVF process in 2012 um mm-hmm. Carly did with IUI which is quite IVF that's in uterine insemination yeah and uh we didn't have any we had two unsuccessful attempts yeah. and um yeah we were a little bit down or obviously down about yeah. the situation and not being able to conceive a baby and then all of a sudden we were thrown this crazy opportunity of um my kitchen rules so I don't know a couple of people might have heard the show before, heard of the show before and yeah. <laughs> I imagine just one or two might have heard of it <laughs> No, yeah. it's not on air anymore. No, is it's it? not. It's no. Not. Uh, maybe the younger people won't know it because it's free to air. <laughs> well, there is that. Our kids yeah. don't know what free to air TV is. Yeah. yeah. There's a major sporting event on that we've got to do free to air TV. They're like, what's this? Like, what are the ads that are in the middle? Yeah, ads. Yeah, even I'm annoyed by ads now. And yeah, so. So yeah, so we just kind of thought, oh, well, that's what we're meant to be doing now. And then that just took us on a way way left a field trajectory for a fair few years and we started our own business and we traveled the world and just really yeah leaned into you know what we wanted our lives to look like and then eventually like in 2019 we were like okay we really want to try for a baby again and because I'd had the two IUIs that were unsuccessful then I was able to go straight to IVF and so that's what we did but it was a mental yeah really really a struggle because COVID, COVID. started so all elective surgery got cancelled so I think I was on yeah. fertility drugs from January through to I think September September so I was yeah. just crazy person it was like I was she was fun to live with let me yeah because they were trying to actually put like make it so that we could do a fresh transfer so we had, they had to line up our cycle yeah so just to explain the fresh transfer so we used my eggs so we collected my eggs and then we had to line up Carly's cycle so that five days after my eggs were collected and fertilized then it would be a fresh embryo going straight into Carly for the yeah the right timing of all the hormones being at the right levels and yeah, it did. It all worked, which was fantastic. It all worked. But, yeah, it meant that I was, like, sort of forced in and out of menopause, essentially, um, you know, for a good percentage of those months. And I was just crazy. crazy. Yeah. 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 Having done so IVF um, and having to only manage that with my cycle, I can't imagine having to line up two cycles. Yeah. It's, it's, that we're it's in your house with all <laughs> Yeah, and in the middle of a pandemic like oh my gosh what were we thinking yeah uh, yeah so but yeah then we, we fell pregnant and so yeah. that was eight years then from beginning to end is that right yeah so there was a yeah, big gap, gap in between big gap in between where we were right. like sort of yeah. trying to get our we started a business and back on track we built a we bought a house and renovated it so yeah that was quite a, a large job so mm. that and building a business and getting our business into a position where we could take time off yep. um, with the baby yeah, yeah. so mm. there was a lot of long hours put into that as well yeah. tell me a little bit about the business um so we create resources for teachers 
Um, but we started out as the happiness mission where we would go into schools and we would talk to the girls in particular, but also boys on occasion, like um, just about strength and resilience and how to, you know, make the most out of the situation that you've been given. Um, and yeah, then the teachers were like, why don't you do this for us? Like you yeah. need to do this for us. And so we we started doing it for them. And then the teachers were way more, um, well, they really wanted it, didn't they? Yeah. They really could see a need for it. So we started creating resources for them, trying to take as much as we could off their plate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything's gone digital since COVID. Yeah. So it kind of evolved from like positive psychology kind of resilience sort of training to providing teachers with resources so that they have more time to spend on focusing on their lessons and not so much after hours lesson planning. (laughs) There is a difficult irony now in the fact that you had a business about happiness. I know. I know. I often think about that. I think, gosh, did we set ourselves up for this somehow, you know? Um, because we were so invested in mindset and trying to maintain an optimistic frame of mind and, and just stay positive as much as we could. And we used to teach people to do that. And now we've had to lean into that ourselves, which it's, it's wild the amount of things that have sort of come full circle. Like even, yeah, like well, after we were on My Kitchen Rules, we had a lot of people get in contact with us mm. to speak at their events and do a lot of charity work. And we we worked with Camp Quality, Ronald McDonald House, wow. Starlight, Starlight, yeah, so many charities. And then all of a sudden, when Poppy was diagnosed with leukemia, there are all these all these charities that we had to rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hundred percent has come around full circle in yeah. a variety of different ways. Yeah. yeah. We've said a similar thing about the fact that my husband and I were both blood donors and encourage people to donate blood before Marley needed it. But you never think that it's actually going to be you or someone that you love that really needs it. Um, And we've certainly had it come around the other way. Mm. So tell me about um, finding out that you were pregnant with Poppy. So I just did not believe it. We just jumped around (laughs) in a little circle and then we, there was so much commotion out the back of our office and um, Lori, who's Poppy's godmother, she obviously knew what was going on because she knew what the phone call was. Um, And so we rang Chesney's mum straight away because we were very much warned that we had to, she had to be the first to know. So so we rang her. Oh my gosh. And yeah, but for the first couple of like weeks and months I was so scared about everything I'd be ringing the IVF clinic all the time like oh my gosh um this happened and is this normal and yeah yeah they're so used to me now like they yeah. <laughs> so was she a freshie in the end or was she a frozen yeah she was fresh yeah. so we managed yeah. to line it up so we had yeah. two two embryos uh one was frozen and then one was poppy which was the fresh transfer yeah yeah so, so am yeah, I allowed to ask if you still have a frozen? Yeah, we still do. We still have yeah. one frozen poppy sibling. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll have to sort of think what we're going to do in the the near future about yeah, the, collecting more eggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely I've got a feeling it's a little boy in there frozen. 
really. She thought that Poppy was a boy, though. <laughs> we both did. did. We yeah. both thought Poppy was a boy. Like, I would have we said, left it a surprise. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was 90% certain that yeah. Poppy was a boy. Like, yeah. I definitely. So when she came out, we were just, yeah. oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I was so shocked <laughs> and so excited. And, yeah, it was the best news ever. So yeah. I just, I, like, I, I just can't stress enough how wonderful it was to have a surprise at the end like I think some people are planners and they need to do the gender reveal and all of that but not us we were like oh let's make it a surprise you know so so we have three living children um and we didn't know that our freshie who's Thomas who's now 13 um we didn't know what we were having with him And when Marley, who's our youngest, she's seven, we didn't know what we were having with her either. Um, But our Campbell, who's in the middle, is our surviving twin. um, And his identical twin brother died um, during our pregnancy. I carried them both to term and I birthed them both. Um, But we had to find out as part of that process of trying to keep Campbell alive once Benjamin had passed away. Um, And, you know, you do what you need to do medically necessary, all of those things. But it mm. was a different experience. I mean, you know, birthing alive and a dead baby within 15 minutes yeah. of each other, it's always going to be an intense birth. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was, yeah, the ultimate trauma and pain in the, like the ultimate joy and the ultimate sadness in the same moment. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I was going to introduce Benjamin to you. He's just here, Aww. just so you know that I have a little understanding. So um, yeah. he shows up in our life as a little blue fairy wren um, quite often. Yeah, he's been doing it since, well, Campbell started telling us about it when he was really little. What? So he would just say, that's my twin. Oh Before my he was old enough to get that cultural reference of looking for things or seeing signs or um yeah. We have, it's been a delicate thing, I think, particularly because they were identical twins and I carried them together. We sought lots of um, support and information from psychologists and stuff about whether we tell Campbell that this had even happened. Mm. And we have given the really strong advice that you have to tell him because that's part of his experience. And Mm. if you don't tell them, they'll have to sort of get to adolescence and that early identity seeking phase and they'll feel like part of them's missing, but Mm. they can't articulate what it is or why. Um, And yeah, so we've always told him. And right from the time he's been really little, we'll have little blue fairy wrens, like things like one showed up while my sister was getting married. There was one showed up at my brother's wedding reception. Um, Every time we go on holidays, we'll just have one that will just come and visit us. Um, So, yeah, it was 10 years for us last year. Um, Wow. So I got him there and we're in Queensland now, so it's too hot for them most of the places. (laughs) Yeah. So I can just tuck him in next to my heart every time I'm missing him. Yeah. and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing, you know, and you guys will come across this too. Um, if you decide to go on and have more children is you don't want the next child along to walk the same grief path that you have walked, but you also, you know, little poppy grace is always going to be part of your family and will be a sibling, you know, to another child, if you have another child in the future. And it's a delicate balance to weave that through your family story. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was actually a twin, but my mum, like she, like the the other twin passed away one 
like during the pregnancy she didn't have to give birth like it was just like a miscarriage yeah, but um we don't know too many too much yeah, we don't, about it don't know really anything at all about it but my brothers are twins as well and I yes yeah, so I can really imagine that identity like I think it's really important that you faced it the way that you did because yeah now Campbell knows yeah 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 and he reports himself as a twin um but we've tried so difficult to do it in a way that is positive and you know we always it was really difficult leaving Canberra because we have moved to Queensland because Marley needed a local pediatric intensive care unit no PQ in Canberra so we kept getting out all the time so we had to relocate up here uh, nearly three years ago so you need Brisbane so we're on Sunshine Coast. So there's six PICU beds at Sunshine Coast University Hospital, which okay. is seven minutes from where we bought our house. Oh, but once okay. they stabilise her, intubate and do that kind of stuff here, then she, it's an easy road transfer down to Brisbane if you need multiple systems. To go there. Yeah. And that's where her consultants are down there. Um, but she can easily have her treatment, you know, port accessed and all that kind of stuff here. So because mm-hmm. um, otherwise we, we had four airlifts to Sydney in 11 months. Wow. And that, that Jeff and the boys, like our two older boys, would be in Canberra and then Marley and I would be in Sydney and I would have to make decisions. Like it was no good. Gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, but his ashes are in Canberra and that was really difficult to leave his ashes yeah. because yeah. we would just we just had started this tradition of cooking cupcakes. We would all make cup, cup, cupcakes together for Christmas, birthdays, you know, Mother's Day, that kind of stuff. His ashes are in really beautiful gardens. We'd go to the same cafe and get a coffee, go to the same florist and get flowers and just make it like a family picnic. And I think because we started doing that with the kids when they were so little, by the time yeah. they to start asking questions about it, they'd already sort of built that into their narrative about it being something positive. And yeah, you know, just because we can't see people anymore doesn't mean they're not still part of our family. Was that the yeah. that we used? Um And, you know, I think that's what we all want when we've had a child pass away is not to just have that from the siblings, but to have that from everybody. Like Mm. you guys would want people to talk about Poppy and say her name. And yeah. Yeah. It's such a strange place to be in because, um, you know, we, we saw family yesterday and we received like birthday cards for her. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just as, it's a strange place to be. Like I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, put it that way, but yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So, and it's not like in your hearts. Do you think, does, do you feel like you will celebrate her as aging on each birthday and think yeah. about how she would have been or will she be forever the age? So it, what yeah, it's hard to imagine her days? being two, you know, like we yeah. celebrated her second birthday at the blood donation center mm. and which was super special because mm. like in Newcastle and Maitland we like we've had a really I, I suppose really since MKR we've had just this beautiful support network of people yeah. who've got mm. behind us particularly um sort of Maitland and Clarence Town area in Newcastle like, which in is very much a small country town mm got behind us when we're on the show and then really supported a lot of things that we've done for charity a lot of things that we've done in our business just have got behind us and like we always say Newcastle's great for getting behind their own like they're really really it's it's a very supportive tight-knit 
community for mm-hmm. such a big city like mm-hmm. it's it is so small and tight-knit mm-hmm. and so um the blood donor center is actually at Broadmeadow it's just down the road from our house and they they've been in contact with us a lot about the results that Poppy was getting because we didn't really know that this was impressive like the amount of donors that were coming in for Poppy like we didn't really yeah. know that that was they were like this is crazy she's like an individual she's not like Newcastle University or yeah. you know, the rough space she's an individual and um, at first because we have so many teachers that are clients that our teachers were all getting behind us and donating blood and the blood donation center thought that the teachers were being forced to as some like form of like professional development or something that we, yeah. because there was so many I mean it's not a terrible idea it's not the worst idea like yeah. go to professional development or donate blood I know what I'd be doing like <laughs> so um yeah so, so has Poppy got her own lifeblood team she does yeah. so yeah I'll just explain that so when Poppy was first diagnosed we had a lot of people we yeah decided that we'd announce it to our or on our social media mm. um that Poppy had been diagnosed and there's a lot of people getting in contact wanting to do something but like what can we what, do what can yeah yeah what, what can you do like we were in shock and mm. our oncologist at the time suggested there's going to be a lot of people that want to help like one thing that they can do is donate blood because of yeah. covid we're having a, a huge shortage of blood and if you can encourage people to donate blood um that would be wonderful so we put the call out and my cousin set up a lifeblood team for Poppy Grace mm-hmm. and then yeah it kind of grew from there yeah. and we have people that donate platelets every two weeks and we have yeah another... they're big into plasma at the moment that mm-hmm. the, the family like the core yeah. um who are going you know religiously yeah um, and, they've been um, doing lots of plasma haven't they? yeah indigo which is a another girl that was going through treatment um at the same time as poppy her mum was um, in the uk at a certain time where they couldn't do it because mm. of the um mad cow disease so she donated two days ago for the first time that's that's name. name yeah, yeah. Mm. that was exciting and we're still getting a, a few oncology parents as well donating in Poppy Grace's lifeblood team which is quite special um yeah to know that they're they're honoring Poppy and also saving lives yeah and so when they called us and said do you want to do Poppy's second birthday from here we were like that's an amazing idea and we didn't realize that they had this surprise planned and they had because Brian had said to me who he's the like the blood donor manager he said yeah he said I want to call the plasma machine Poppy Grace. How do you feel about that? And I was like, that's awesome. But they couldn't get it to happen because the Poppy, uh, the plasma machine, it's a hygiene issue. They wouldn't have been able to clean it properly once they Uh, had it. Right. So it's like, never mind, I've got a better idea. So they made Poppy Grace Corner and there's these two specific chairs that's right in the corner and they um they decked it all out with all they had so many flowers around the place didn't they yeah. flowers everywhere all the staff had flowers in their hair flowers on the name badges like it was just walking into a garden it was beautiful and balloons, balloons. Yeah. it was just gorgeous and then yeah they unveiled it to us and oh my gosh we were a mess weren't we yeah so they made a, a little plaque with um poppy grace you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying so hard not to. 
Yeah, and then they covered it with a beautiful piece of paper. With, um, yeah, poppy engraved on it as well. Poppy on either end, the poppy flower. Yeah. So it was really beautiful and special. So yeah. now when people go into that particular branch, they can sit in Poppy Graves' corner. And um, we made a scrapbook that they can sit and read Poppy's oh. story. And, you know, just uh, it's a big letter from us saying thank you, basically, for being a blood donor because you're incredible. Like, you're a superhero. Yeah. Like, it's as simple as that. So And talking about all the times or how many times Poppy needed blood transfusions basically to live like after a bone marrow transplant mm. yeah you you need platelets like every second day mm. um to survive and you need red blood cells or pack cells she was getting it every week because a hemoglobin would drop down and then a heart rate would go up she'd get pale yeah. sometimes the saturation would drop like so her oxygen levels and then as soon as she would get some red blood cells within a couple of hours a heart rate would go maybe even an hour heart rate would go down Isn't that insane? to literally just coffee. watch that product bring your child back to life like it's, yeah, it's a absolutely. crazy experience and that's one of the things that we really like to highlight through this podcast too is that blood products aren't just life-saving in an acute setting they mm. can also be life-preserving they make treatment possible they give people more time they yeah. give families hope like it is so much more than just saving lives in that occasion. Yeah, I, I just wish, like, it would be brilliant to get footage of, like, the children pre, like, particularly the red blood cells. Like, Yeah, I think we pre, have some. I think we, we yeah. personally do a poppy, but it's hard because she's so little, like, to know. But she, mm. you see the difference in her skin. Like, she goes mm. from pale to pink. Yeah. But... The, the teenagers say to us, you know, it's like having a Red Bull. Like they feel yeah. like they've had a Red Bull after they've had a red blood transfusion. And mm-hmm. and the kids can say to the doctor, I think I need blood. Like they yeah. know what they feel like. Yeah. And um, they check their HB levels or they do their bloods and check that their hemoglobin's low. And then, yeah, so yeah. they can get the, the pack cells. So, yeah, but we could tell like if Poppy's heart rate would go up quite high, um, it means like she didn't have enough hemoglobin, which is basically the red cells carrying the oxygen around her system. Mm-hmm. So therefore her heart rate would, would beat a lot faster to push that oxygen around. And that was a tell sign basically that a hemoglobin was low if we couldn't pick up that she was starting to get a little bit pale. Because when you see them day after day after day, you, you can't don't. quite notice yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the gradual change. Up. Yeah. I mean, sometimes now we look back on photos of pre-diagnosis and think, far out, how did we not see how pale she was? But you'd look at her day in, day out, like, and it's not noticeable day to day. It's like you can only look back and notice it's just so... Hindsight's a beautiful thing. And she was your first baby as well. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, how how Um, would you know? Yeah, it was the wildest experience to raise a baby in hospital because in a way it was so nice because, you know, the nurses helped us become mums. Like we had nurses there with us that were our family. Like they, we were in hospital for the first stint. Um, I think we got out for two days. Yeah, seven weeks straight from diagnosis. So it was like August to October, like we, we were in hospital and and so in that time, like, we didn't leave the hospital room except for to get coffee or to go to the toilet, like, if we were in a room without a toilet. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, they they helped us 
raised Poppy in the beginning. Like we were like, I don't know, is that a cry because she's hungry? Is that a cry because of leukemia? Is that a cry because she's in pain? Like what is that weird squeaking sound she's making? Is that normal? Like so we'd be like, it was nice to have a nurse there on hand to be like, is this normal? Is this not normal? You know, like yeah, because I suppose most people, well, most people aren't have been raising around you. Whereas yeah. we weren't allowed to have any family in either. So yeah. it was only Carly and I who were lucky enough to to be together. Um, but, yeah, we couldn't have any family come in. And a lot of people had never met Poppy. Um, yeah. and a lot of people still never met Poppy that were family. Yeah. And so it was quite hard. So we did rely on the nurses a lot to help us with the parenting. Uh, yeah. You know. There's and a then- big thing that too, though, that like listening to you guys talk about it, if, you're only going to get that short amount of time with her in your world. I'm so glad that you didn't have to share that time with yeah. other people. Um, yeah. It's so nice that you got to have that time to yeah. yourself. Um, yeah, for us. But it's also like looking back, we kind of in two minds about it because she was isolated all of her life. So she, she never met another baby. Yeah, like, so, like to touch another baby, she met... Like little Spencer, he was another oncology, um, a little boy that was a, a few months older than Poppy, through the glass door. Mm-hmm. And maybe he would come and like bash yeah. on the door and try and get himself into Poppy's room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she never got to like really play with other kids or yeah. get used to people like family, family even, like family only, yeah, even immediate family a handful of times. So it was good that we had this time with her, but also it would have been nice to give her a more life experience. Life. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like we booked uh, on three different occasions, three different zoos, depending on where we were, and we never got to take it to the zoo. Like yeah. they just, they tried everything. The palliative care team were brilliant to try and help us to do all the things that we wanted to do with her, but it just wasn't possible. Every time something would happen, she'd get sick or she'd get it a fever or we'd end up in ICU like and there was no way we could take her to a zoo you know and she also was uh became positive to COVID um which she was COVID positive for 201 days so that's not just long COVID but she was actually shedding a high viral load so we do a, a PCR every two weeks and yeah. a viral load was highly contagious because the virus was shedding quite a bit but she didn't have any symptoms. It was just stuck in a body. So just yeah, pass it. clear it because of the mm-hmm. transplant had wiped out all of her immune system. But does so that mean that you guys kept getting it too? Uh, we got it once, but we've just been talking about long COVID actually recently because my, my cousin's um, got long COVID. So, yeah, I don't know. Like we didn't have any symptoms, but surely like being around somebody that had a high viral load for 201 days, yeah, yeah means that we've either super immune to COVID or yeah somebody somewhere as well but yeah. yeah no one ever caught it off her but as soon as somebody's COVID positive then you have all the masks the gloves the gowns like everything the glasses high um, PPE but then just to come in the room so everyone had to gown up before they came in and then yeah take everything off before they left and and that was her life and our life for 200 days um of her being isolated she started to get really like resistant to anyone who came in in a yellow coat you know because she'd know Mm -hmm. all right well if they're coming in in a yellow coat they're going to try and poke me or prod me or something and if you came in in a yellow coat she didn't want to know you yeah toward the end around December 
she got a blood infection um, and there was a, a bad bug that she got. It was a gram negative bacteria that was quite hard to get rid of. Yeah. And it ended up, we think, because it came back so many times, we think it was caught in a central line. So a central line, just for anybody that doesn't know, um, is like a port, but it comes out of the chest and has two lumens where they can give blood products or take blood, um, which they would do every morning. And basically this uh, gram-negative bacteria apparently is really sticky and can stick to the, the line of the, of the central line and it's really hard to get rid of. So they had to remove that and then do seven days of antibiotics and then put one in uh, the other side of her chest. And, yeah, that was quite a traumatic time for her because they put in a, a like a cannula, but it was a longer cannula in her leg and it tissued out and then they had like six attempts on Christmas Eve which were failed and she was awake for them all. So after that she was like, no, I'm in a yellow coat is going to try and give me a cannula. Mm. Yeah, but she, yeah, went in on Christmas Day and had surgery and got a another longer cannula until she could get a central line, a new yeah. central line in. Like, mm. But, yeah, it was just miserable because she loves Christmas and <laughs> absolutely loves Christmas. Like her, we had Christmas from, well, pretty much November to Feb- February. We just, <laughs> just every day was Christmas. And um, and so for Christmas Day, for her to be in surgery, we were the only, mm. uh, there was only one other family on the ward. Tresnay's parents were sick, so they couldn't come. My family came, but it was just so brief and it's hospital. So it's yeah. not, it was just like, oh, are you serious? Like we wanted that to be such a special day for her. Yeah, there but, was a beautiful girl though. There was this young girl uh, from Dubbo that, came in and made the trip into Newcastle and had bought a whole bunch of presents for Poppy to cheer up, like to cheer up for Christmas, which yeah. I thought was absolutely beautiful. So it was. She had yeah. no shortage of presents. No <laughs> yeah. We were still opening presents right way through January. But yeah, yeah she savoring them. Yeah. But so we, we made it special for her, but it was, yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah. Mm. And the special kind of bullshit that she had to have that done on Christmas Day when you only was with her. Like, yeah. And all well and good for the doctors, but it's like, come on, guys, you've had six attempts and you aren't getting it. Just stop mm. trying to stop sending up. in the junior doctors. Give us the big guns, like, or don't try, yeah. you know, like, because her, her, her skin and like was so fragile and, and she was, and, yeah, yeah, all her sites yeah. got infected. It was just, miserable for her yeah so the the last guy got it at 2 a.m christmas day and he was a picky consultant it's like how about you send him in first yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. 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 So under the ultrasound do all of the things to reduce yeah. The- yeah yeah well they tried it under ultrasound they couldn't Still do that get it. yeah but yeah she i mean picky was mental yeah. on christmas eve so it wasn't their fault like they were mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. their best and short staff christmas yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's so, a tough thing though. Once Marley um, was in remission um, and I was able to go back to work, I um, was a sex therapist and a sexual and reproductive health educator in my previous career. Worked in the Commonwealth Public Service in sexual health policy for a really long time. 
and I have gone back and retrained. Um, so I'm now a um, non-directive child-centered play therapist. And the majority of the work that I do is with children and families who have experienced medical trauma. Um, wow. The amazing play therapists that worked with Marley when we were in the Sydney Children's Hospital in Randwick were just phenomenal. And we're working towards her end of life care because that's where we thought that we were headed um, and were able to explain the way that she was playing to us in terms of the way that she was processing that kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to be able to access that for her in a setting that wasn't in hospital because as mm. soon as you take her through the front doors of a hospital, she's like, is yeah. this a hurting or a talking appointment? You know, what am I having done today? Like yeah. she just knows that like you put, you can just feel as soon as you pull into the hospital car park, you know, the anxiety all just rise within the car. Like even if you're not there, if you're just there mm. to pick up meds or something, you know, it's tricky. Yeah. So. I've set up my practice in a house that's been renovated completely separate from the hospital campus um, to give those kids and families the opportunity to come in and use play to work through that trauma. Um, a good idea. It's yeah, a great idea. Just so needed. So, so needed. Mm. Um, so on that, tell me about having Poppy Grace for such a short time but making her childhood as magical as you could within all yeah. the Well, so we knew from the beginning that, like, her oncologist had said to us, you know, like, the survival rate is, like, 20%. Um, it gets higher with the bone marrow transplant. But she said, I don't want you to focus on statistics because how do you know Poppy's not going to be one in that 20%, you know? <laughs> like, so we need to focus on... 100% or nothing. Yeah, 100% or nothing. Um, and so we made a very conscious decision to not cry in front of her. You know, mm -hmm. if we were upset, um, we'd leave the room. If we, you know, we didn't ever, she never really experienced any form of the fact that there was something wrong with her. Like we no. didn't want to deny that there, it wasn't normal, the mm -hmm. life that she was living. So yeah, like we we did cry. We just if she was asleep, we cried. Yeah. Oh, how much do you cry in a hospital once the kid goes? Yeah. To sleep. <laughs> or just um sneak off to the parents' room, or you know, just go to the bathroom, yeah. um because she's very very intuitive. Absolutely. Like a very very socially intelligent baby, and what she lacked in sort of gross motor skills, she really picked up in social and emotional cues. Absolutely. And yeah was insanely well, really really good fine motor skills too but gross motor was not her thing you know she never learned to walk um because she, she was, was always attached to lines yeah and, or too sick to be able to get up the bones were too sore wouldn't have had that ability to even build that core strength to be no, able to do it no. in a hospital bed for that long but she absolutely loved like we in the beginning you know even when she was before she was diagnosed we used to sing to her yeah and she'd just light up and mm -hmm. and we noticed that we could sing and it would stop her from crying. So we'd yeah. be singing to her, making up songs all the time, weren't so we? So the day that she was diagnosed, um, we were actually in, when they were trying to get her cannula to get blood out, um, it, she was really, really hard for them to get blood to do a blood test when she we were first sent to the oncology unit when we found out. So we were singing to her and trying to keep her calm which was interesting because, like they said, her hemoglobin was 23 at that stage and 
she should to, have been asleep. Like yeah, she should yeah. have been to be twenty three. Was she, she eleven weeks old at that stage? Yeah. Weeks old, yeah. So normally, like if she's under eighty or eighty mm. is when they get a blood transfusion. So the fact that she was twenty three and she was actually fighting the doctors mm. and like crying and yeah, wasn't asleep was mm. a miracle in itself. So yeah, we we were singing to her. <laughs> yeah, we we made up a. Um, I know you might remember the gummy bears, yeah. gummy bears theme song, and we'd um, yeah just put her name in it instead, and she loved that. So we were just um, in the middle of the day unit with the ICU doctors trying to get blood out before they took her to surgery, singing her favourite song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just we would constantly sing to her, um, and she loved being read to. Like I read to her from the day she was born, so she. She, I think she liked that soothing tone mm-hmm. and yeah. she, she had her own favourite books. Obsessed with books, absolutely. And, yeah, it. and just um, loved, like, when we were in Westmead, that the television, I don't know if you've ever seen this television systems in there, but they're like, you can get a few Foxtel channels, but right. it's like basically BBC free to air. Yeah, a couple and of so, television channels. Yeah, and so the BBC Kids channel was just on in the background for noise sort of thing. And she, before she got her glasses, she was not even interested in it. Like, she barely even looked at it, did she? Yeah. She used to like Mr Bean um, because the the bold lines of Mr Bean, like in the cartoon, she could see it and she the song would come on and she'd bopping along. (laughs) And it was just the cutest thing. And Can so we, we have this pulse. little side note comment about how adorable your daughter is in glasses? <laughs> I know, right? Her I little know. glasses oh, bring me so much joy. She I know. She's just, them. when she got those glasses, like, well, the world of TV opened up to her, didn't it? Yeah. She yeah. was discovered, hey, Dougie. And, and the toys. She, like, the toys. She's, we've got a little video from life. Of when Whoa. Like, <laughs> we filmed her, like her first time that we put the glasses on her. Yeah. And she was kind of wanting to bat them off. And then all of a sudden she was like, hang on a minute. What? And then I'm speaking around and getting her toys and analysing her toys. Yeah, oh, and my gosh. She was so precious. Moment. Yeah. And we had, like, little baby glasses on her little monkey and on her doll. And so, like, it looked normal. And we had glasses on. So, we, you know, we tried to make it, like, this is what people do. They put these things on their face. And... So granny wears glasses and she was at Westmead with us a lot of the time too. And so, yeah, it was just, it, yeah, she just kind of loved them in the end. She didn't ever want to take them off, did she? Mm-hmm. Like we'd have to take them off when she went to sleep because she, she wouldn't want them off. Yeah. But yeah, she, we just tried to fit as much as we could in that can be done in a hospital room, which is pretty limited, but not, not super limited like we still got to do lots of physio with her lots of like the child life therapist would come and visit with before she had COVID. yeah mm-hmm. music therapist was great as well the music therapist mm-hmm. was amazing more so for us than poppy <laughs> <laughs> we they love pick seeing up on that energy so much though right like yeah. that little bit of banter when you've got the clown doctors come in or yeah no starlight foundation like starlight captains come in and visit or anything like that it always found it good to have a good laugh with them and be part of it because it would shift my energy a little bit as well so yeah yeah. and she could like because everything sort of diminished once she got COVID like none of the sort of other people would come in we had this um, music therapist Miriam and Roxanne they were just 
brilliant and they would come in and we'd be like you don't have to come in like you've got a gown up you know you don't have to do that and they'd be like don't be silly we're coming in to see you you know quite hot in those gowns so they'd be there like in these gowns playing their instruments and and we'd be so grateful because yeah like starlight couldn't come in for poppy because it was a lot to put on yeah and she was isolating so only people that had to be in there were allowed in there mm. yeah so you want to protect her as well right like it's yeah protecting the people that are coming in she would have been so fragile that yeah COVID and influenza or gastro or something on top yeah but she uh like she would pick up on the energy of when we would have a nurse on that we loved like we had our favorite nurses so <laughs> yeah and our favorite doctors like we had these there was one lady Natasha like who was a reg and she was just a junior doctor and she was just so precious and we'd see her at the door and was like oh my god hi and we'd get so excited to see her and it rubs off like yes she would definitely feel that and yeah, yeah. and also like the, they would come in and yeah they'd always want to her talk to her and yeah. they didn't touch her you know so she loved that like yes. they'd just come talk to her from the side of the bed and mm-hmm. yeah so I mean I think we were lucky in a way because we got so much one-on-one time with her you know like mm-hmm. we were in her face 24-7 you know mm-hmm. and and so I don't know in a way like that is just it's a double-edged sword because I think well we got all that time with her but also I think now we miss her so much you know because it's like missing a body part you know you just she's just yeah it's a strange feeling to often think oh and then go oh no no like oh I haven't done poppy's meds oh I haven't done poppy's feeds and then think no like so as long as, like, even though, like, the writing was on the wall, like, I don't think you could ever prepare yourself for for what was in store. Like, it just yeah. nothing that we could have done would have prepared us. Like, unfortunately, like, I just it's one of those things you just can't prepare for. So, yeah. What point did you... We allowed yourselves to believe that it might really be her final day. I think maybe like three weeks. Yeah. Because she, so her oxygen started to decline um, and she was getting some blowover, which happened every now and then. But she wasn't fluid overloaded. Yeah. Like generally she'd only get oxygen if she was fluid overloaded. She was fluid on board and she'd need another blood product called albumin, mm-hmm. which helps draw fluid um, back into her veins if she's got leaky cells um yeah and then we we asked them if they could do a, a chest x-ray and they did a chest x-ray chest x-ray and we we asked them like was there anything on the chest x-ray is it okay and the report was it's unremarkable which means there's nothing on there mm-hmm. and then a few days later one of the consultants came back to us and said oh I've had another look at the chest x-ray there's something like a little bit of shadowing here let's go for a ct scan and double check it again because her oxygen levels aren't picking up so we had a in a ct scan and it came back that she had a fungal infection in her lungs which yeah so when you've got an immunocompromised person in general um, fungal infection is one of the big things that everyone's very very cautious of because they're hard to get rid of um, if you don't have an immune system, 
Mm. And it came back and it showed two big balls um, in a lungs of a thing called aspergillus, uh, which is the most common fungal infection. And they said the only way we can get rid of it is if she has white cells. Um, and we knew she all the marrow had been wiped from a, a previous um, chemotherapy. So, yeah, mm -hmm. there was nothing we could really do. And when that happened, one of the doctors stopped her um, metaflax, which is what we had on compassionate use, which we actually um, we actually tried to fight. And we said, look, she's recovered her white cells on venetoclax before. Can we not stop it? Because if we stop it, the leukemia is going to become resistant and refractory. And anyway, our, yeah, they said no, I'm the doctor. This is my decision. And, um, yeah, it became refractory. Mm -hmm. um, that doctor left or oh, our normal doctor came back and put her straight back on the venetoflax. But um, mm -hmm. from there it just became resistant and the leukaemia, like, started to double. And we had meetings with palliative care and the consensus was we asked them the question, what's worse to go, um, like, what's worse to take her? Is it the fungal infection or is it the leukaemia? And they said, based on where the fungal infection is in a lung, it's quite close to a, an artery in there. And if it hits that artery, the lungs will bleed out and that's not nice for her whatsoever and it'll be quite quick. So if it was the leukaemia, it could be more peaceful um, and she'd just go to sleep. So, yeah, sorry. And only share what you feel comfortable with, guys. Don't push it further than you feel Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, so we made the decision. Well, we, we still tried other options of less toxic treatments that we could find. Mm -hmm. uh, and we still tried the venetoclax, but, yeah, it just kept going and going and it was relentless. And, yeah, so I think it was like within two weeks, two weeks it, um, it just started to double like the every day or even triple sometimes because it was so aggressive. And a um, blast count, which is the, the leukemia count in a blood, the last time we checked it, which was three days before she passed away, was 787 or something like that. Um, so she would have been over a million before, like, the day that she passed. And she was diagnosed at 473,000, and that was very, very high. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the fungal... I don't know. I think, yeah, I won't go into too much of, of what happened, but yeah, the, the leukemia was the thing that took, took her in the end. Um, but in combination, like the fungal infection definitely wasn't, wasn't helpful. No. Yeah. And having to, you know, carry her, carry her around with oxygen, like at her christening, like we managed to get her a christening thrown together, you know, two weeks before she passed, was it? Yeah. Two weeks, we managed yeah. to pull in every favour um, to sort of get her this christening, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah. And um, we, the music therapist had written, like, we, we changed the lyrics to the song Rise Up so that it had more appropriate, like, songs, uh, like, lyrics for Pocky. 
and it was more appropriate for Poppy. And um, and also when we were in Westmead, we um, the music therapist recorded her heartbeat, mm. and they yeah sung the song with a heartbeat in the background. So it was part yeah. of the yeah, the so beautiful tempo, and yeah. So so we played that, and um, like our immediate family were there, and like five friends like yeah just the just very four friends and also like we didn't have many people there so everyone had to wear masks as well because Poppy was still severely you know compromised Mm -hmm. and we didn't know at this stage how long she did have left so we still had to protect her yeah Um, and we had to protect everyone else too because she had COVID um and so it was very quick um her christening but um yeah like I just I'm blown away about our sort of our family just were like okay we can do it you know let's do this and get this person and 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 pulled it together and um her cousins and Chesney's um cousin like sang their favorite like because they had a song that they would sing to her and we'd play it on the phone for her so she'd get to know her cousins even though it was through the phone like um so it was really a special special day but like looking back on those photos and the poor little darlings hooked up to an oxygen tank and I had a near mishap with um a flame <laughs> and the oxygen tank. not supposed to laugh at that no, <laughs> it was very funny because Laurie who's her godmother yeah is, um they you know it's part of the ceremony that you bring the candles towards and hand them to you know the yeah, parents we holding it and, and then she had the oxygen with but we had the oxygen and we were like it's we were like hang a minute flame yeah <laughs> so yeah nothing actually happened but it was all very funny because a few um swear words popped out in church which is not yeah. ever a good thing no, but, <laughs> but I think that's just such a normal human parenting moment as well yeah. I think that's difficult for people to understand that even in the throes of something like that you still have normal parenting moments yeah yeah <laughs> so no it was really beautiful and and we were lucky to get everybody together to be there and, and yeah. see her and she looked gorgeous she had a little white dress on and yeah. little white headband and she was just so cute yeah so. she had a little dance when um when the music was on yeah look at like such a little grouper yeah oh yeah yeah she yeah. had the music in her let me tell you yeah. like <laughs> yeah. so funny how she much she loved it to the blender like I was <laughs> yeah little magic bullet blender I would like make smoothies and stuff yeah. and I'd have to put it down at NG tube because she had an oral aversion yeah, and yeah. Most nights I'd make them when we're at home, well, when we're at home, and she'd just start dancing away to the blender, dance to the vacuum cleaner, <laughs> just like oh, having music in us. Yeah, just uh, so yeah. I mean, those sorts of things make you think. I wonder what you know she would have become. Like, would she have been into music or you know? Yeah. And she was so tough too. Like very, very stoic and like I, I do wonder what would have become of her because she was such a little daredevil too like yeah and I think like every year or all the time you're going to see kids that are the same age as uh, as they're growing up it was mm-hmm. what Poppy would be in age and you're always going to compare or think what she yeah, would have yeah. been like mm-hmm. and yeah my um my eldest brother had a little baby um Hamish and he passed at 10 weeks old of uh whooping cough which turned into pneumonia so mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I saw 
um, uh, another little baby that was born like a couple of days apart from Hamish and he just had his first child oh, a few yeah. days ago, yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, and then you always compare, like, with Hamish had a baby by now. So, yeah, there's a a little thing which we call the Middleton family curse, which is each of my, our firstborn and both my brother's firstborns passed away, Um, which, yeah, Mm. yeah. So it's like you're always going to think about what they're going to be like when they're at a certain age and, I don't know, it's, it can be a little bit tricky still. I think it's only still fresh, like seeing kids that are around Poppy's age and spending time with them. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we, yeah, the other day we met up with our friend who, like, we're just so close with her. She did so much for us when Poppy was sick. And um, we were at the playground with all her children. And, oh and Tresna and I are both like, how old is that child? <laughs> how old is that child how old is that child because they're just like these kids are running around and and they're so mobile and we can't imagine poppy being like that like it's hard to imagine her running around and i just can't picture it like i just yeah yeah i don't know it's weird like when i see a really active child i always think they must be much older but some of them are younger than what Poppy was. Different, um, yeah. yeah, different experiences growing up. Mm. Yeah. And I bet none of them have dance moves like hers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely oh. had that down pat. And, and the laugh that she had. There's only, I've only heard one child laugh as much as she did. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that was overseas recently. But, yeah, she used to laugh so much and just absolutely crack up. up. Absolutely <laughs> crack up at the craziest things, like, Whenever we stayed in hospital, particularly in the palliative care room, we had like a, a fire stick that we'd plug into the TV so we could watch Netflix and, and stand yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And um, if Tresna got on the cube to put that in, oh, my gosh, she <laughs> would lose it. She, oh, it's the funniest thing she's ever seen. Oh, <laughs> climbing on chairs. She thought it was hilarious. Or changing oh, bed sheets. Or changing bed sheets is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Just so funny. Yeah. And we're going, what? <laughs> Well, the I'm way that you it. amuse yourself when you're stuck in hospital rooms for that long, yeah. you've got to do oh, the best that you can. Gosh, yeah, so funny. <laughs> so, so many people, so many of the people that I talk to through this podcast and through the blood donation advocacy work that I do and working with medical families and their children are the most compassionate, empathetic, joyful, gorgeous people in the whole world. And talking to you two today, there's just so much love and joy and gratitude in talking about your beautiful little poppy, Grace. And it's really hard to explain to people when you've been through something so traumatic how you can still hold such love and joy in the present moment how do you guys define that or communicate that to people? I I just think it, it's quite inspirational for you to say that because I we both don't feel like ourselves, do we? We don't feel feel like a shadow of our yeah. higher selves, like shadow people. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know. There's something, you know, a good conversation with a friend, a good meal. Um, those things don't lose their joy because you've been through something traumatic. Like, and I still really appreciate those moments. And, and so I actually have to gear myself up for things like, for example, 
one of our friends, two of our friends have just had um, birthday parties for their three-year-olds. And, mm. and I thought, okay, you're going to go in and, and I, I'm like teeing myself up in the car, like, all right, what can I say that's not traumatic or <laughs> what can I talk <laughs> about that's not people. sad, you know, like, and then, you know, just because of that action of thinking, okay, I want to bring my best self to this party because it's not their fault that what's happened happened. Um, and I don't know, it just changes how you show up and, and neither of us wants to be like somebody who's sucking the energy out of the room. Yeah. So I think we're conscious of that. And, but we, when it's just us two, like that's a different story, you know, because that's when we sort of process some of this stuff and it's, it's horrible. Like you just and you want so to freshly believed as well. This is yeah. so, so, so fresh. And it's just um, wild how, you know, people say, oh, my gosh, the year's going so fast. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I feel like time is crawling, you know. Like, I feel like every day is so long, you know. I'm and anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's just just nuts to think that yeah. how time, there's a huge time shift with grief. Like, yeah. So I think this will really resonate with you guys. Um, one of my greatest supporters and really close friends. The name is Emma Madsen and she's based up here on the Sunshine Coast and she has founded um, the Carers Club. One of the big reasons that she has done this um, is to provide support for bereaved carers. She's certainly the first person in Australia that's used that term and we think internationally that has coined the term bereaved carers and, mm. um, and offering tailored support for bereaved carers as well. Um, and she seeks to support people and acknowledge the fact that just because the person that you have been caring for has passed away doesn't mean that you don't still have, you know, it's not just the grief, but it's the complete change in identity. Like you guys went from living in hospital with her caring for her to yeah. then come out and like, what do you do? Like, like yeah. what you do with your daily life now that feels like it has as much fulfillment um as yeah. much importance how do you go back to a normal life and not having that constant yeah, yeah the mental and emotional yeah yeah to go from like isolating the 20 and a half months mm -hmm. well 18 months in a hospital and then literally fighting every day to try and save a life mm -hmm. um to yeah, like to now, yeah, it's kind of you do lose your identity in a sense and you have to think about what's important to you in life and simplify what's going on in your life so that you can focus on the things that really matter. Yeah, that really matter. Yeah. So uh, it's about navigating the change uh, from where you were when they were here to what you're going to do now and transitioning back into your old life, which I don't think you really can do because everything's now changed. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a fantastic idea of yeah. setting that up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know a few people that could really benefit from that as well. Like mm -hmm. we're part of this sort of like mum's club, which no one wants to be part of, but it's kind of, it's not even a club. It's just a, a handful of mums that have lost kids. Mm. And, you know, like we're all just lost. Like we're all just kind of like finding our way back. and 
you know, the one thing that I take away from people that have sort of navigated that path is that they need something to fulfill a purpose. And I think that's why we've thrown ourselves into the blood donation yeah. to raising money for the Children's Cancer Institute. Like, yeah, because we need to still feel like we're making a difference in that area because yeah. that part of us hasn't gone away just because Poppy's gone, you yeah. know, like. And we want a legacy to live on as well. Like she inspired so many people when she was here. There was people mm-hmm. all over the world that followed her journey and used her as a source of resilience and strength. If they were having a bad day, they would say they'd look at Poppy and see that she was dancing and smiling with all that she was going through and it would make them, yeah, it would give them strength. So we don't want that to to lose its momentum um, in a way. Like we want to help make a difference with the blood donations because we know how much it's needed mm. and also in the research because there was a lot of drugs that we couldn't get access to that possibly could have helped yeah or saved a life in general and we want to help fund research into getting these drugs into the hospitals or into protocols that so kids can get access to them and it could potentially save their life mm. um so it, it's so tell me about the fundraising that you've been doing for the children's cancer institute um is there yeah. a project that's named in Poppy's name? Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So basically um, I found a paper toward the end of um, Poppy's life that we trialled a, a drug based on that. And the, there was a lady from the Children's Cancer Institute that was part of that paper. Anyway, we, I made a connection with her and um, and then after Poppy had passed, got back in contact and said, is there any way that we can that we can help um, fund research. So mm. the Children's Cancer Institute set up a, a in memory of Poppy Grace page where people can donate in Poppy's name. Sorry. <laughs> and it it also has um, her story. So what happened pre-diagnosis, what happened diagnosis, her life. Um, it's a it's a really beautiful page. It's got photos of her and yeah. and um, yeah, yeah, if you just like you can just Google fundraising for Poppy and it comes out like because Children's Cancer Institute obviously have good yeah. SEO. And yes. um, <laughs> and yeah. so and I will pop a link to that page yeah, that'd be great. as well. Yeah. If our so, listeners when they get off um yeah. would either like to donate money in that way um or make a blood donation um Absolutely. to Poppy Life as well. Yeah, because yeah, I think um I think we're going to be speaking at their Diamond Ball this year as well that they are running on the 26th of August. Um, So we're really looking forward to that, Um, being able to share her story because she is a really unique story. I mean, infantile acute lymphoblastic leukaemia is rare um, in in comparison to leukaemia, which is one of the most common um childhood cancers yeah and she had a genetic mutation in the actual leukemia called the mll which also is a kmt2a which um is yeah quite rare and very hard to treat so the research um that they're doing is focused on that because yeah it's it's quite a, a poor prognosis unfortunately and the kmt2a gene is not just for infantile a like acute ALL like it's also for neuroblastoma as well um which okay. is really due to our heart because we've known a lot of little cherubs with neuroblastoma yeah so the work they're doing is yeah. incredible and to meet them um 
they're doing brain tumor research as well solid tumors yeah um but to meet them and see how passionate they are um if anyone's going to do it if anyone's going to cure cancer I feel like it's going to be these <laughs> girls like they're just relentless and um, mm. they took us on a lab tour and they're just so passionate about their work like it was nice to see mm. like that there are people out there who are so invested in this um yeah and yeah. to and see where the money's going guys to be able to add the human element to that too and yeah. You know, yeah. so and be able to meet the people that we got in wrote contact papers with. that yeah. got, that helped us. You know, out of their own kindness, they didn't owe us anything. You know, like they they're just so invested in their purpose. Uh, it's it's very like intoxicating to be around them. Like, I, and I I really genuinely think that they're going to make a big difference in the cancer world in some way because they're just so even cancer children institute in general like they're doing a lot of great work with the zero prism study Mm. um like testing and and their goal is to test every children individually what their cancer type is and have a look at what they're expressing so they can treat them on an individual protocol plan instead of just throwing a blanket chemotherapy protocol at them yeah, it's just made, different. It's going to make a huge difference in the very near future. Yeah, like, absolutely. They're doing some the protocols that they work. throw at like it's so it's like oh you've got a cold here try a honey lemon drink like that might work for somebody but it doesn't work for everybody you know like I just feel yeah. like with the way that they're doing such directed like targeted therapy for the children where each child will have their own protocol like that's a game changer like so yeah so I really believe in what they do and I've seen it firsthand how they make a difference so I mean there were other charities that were really meaningful to us when we were going through Poppy's treatment but I always think if we didn't have cancer we wouldn't need those charities so ladies I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of the beautiful things about your precious little poppy grace today and that's what I really wanted to get out of this episode you know the blood products that she had for the medical treatment and the medical and scientific aspects of it are one thing but at the end of the day you are two women who deeply love each other and that love was what created a precious little girl and I am so grateful that Australian blood donors gave you the opportunity and the best hope at treatment and gave you more time um, to be dancing and grooving to the beat. <laughs> precious little girl. Yeah. Do you have a final message for the Australian blood donors who donated the product that Poppy had or anyone who's considering donating in the future? Yeah, I, I just think thank you will never be enough. I just, it will never be enough. And I think blood donors, it, it seems like something simple that you do, but it's such a gift. It's yeah. such a gift. And, um, you know, we we were saying to people during COVID, you should make it a date, like, because, you know, it was really hard for people to meet during COVID. You could go donate blood, meet the love of your life, have a nice milkshake. Like, what's not to love about that? Go and have a milkshake for Molly because yeah. you have written the introduction to my episode in our Reels <laughs> and what you just did. Stuck <laughs> a hashtag in there. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a great way to catch up. So I've got a girlfriend that I donate with. And yeah. it means that we've got a regular time that we go and sit down with your plasma. So we've got an hour and a half. We can have a chat. We can have a catch up, you know, squeeze yes, your snacks going out of your arm. 
yeah afterwards like everybody's happy yeah Yeah. no we're just so grateful and it'd make a big difference to to poppy's life and every time we would get the blood and we would look at the bag and see when it was donated and and we'd be like wonder if this is yours you know (laughs) who donated this and people would sometimes write to us you know oh i think it was mine and and i'm thinking well it could be you know because (laughs) don't know that it's not (laughs) <laughs> yeah so no we, we're just so grateful and and blood donors everywhere just deserve the massivest pat on the back and just remember how special it is because it's such a gift to somebody who's not well it really is and without people like your kind selves um probably would have been here for a much shorter time so thank you for giving us extra time with her well as a fortnightly plasma donor I really hope that a little bit of my plasma ended up in her (laughs) and she certainly didn't get her dancing skills from me Um, but um yeah I just there she's a great dancer I just really appreciate your time Um, and thank you so much for being part of the podcast episode today and being part of Milkshakes for Marley community. Oh, thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for having us. As podcasting is not a visual medium, it's so hard to describe the pure love and joy that radiated from these two incredible women as they spoke of their love and respect for each other the gratitude that they have for the nursing staff that looked after them during Poppy's short life, most of which was lived in hospital, and their passion for the work that they do now and into the future with a view to improving the cancer journey and treatment options for other Australian children. I am truly in awe of them. Um, and while this isn't a visual medium, I suggest that you go and have a look um, either at their socials or the reels that we have on our Instagram page where you'll always find video snippets of the interviews that I do just gives you a bit better sense of the people and who they are um, and all of the stories of people who have been touched by blood donation. I'm so deeply grateful to them for trusting me with the story of their family and it was such an honour to be able to contribute to sharing Poppy Grace's story and contributing to her legacy. She would be so proud of her mamas and we send all our love from the milkshakes from Marley community to Carly, Tresne and Poppy Grace. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood and this being used to save, preserve or improve the life of a fellow Aussie. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space where recipients and their loved ones can thank the blood donors that they will never meet. If you have ever been a blood donor, maybe it was you who gave Carly and Tresne more time with their baby girl, gave her greater treatment options, alleviated some of Poppy's suffering and allowed her to find joy in this short time on earth. If you would like to become a donor in the future, please register your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team or Poppy Grace's Lifeblood team. I really don't care who people register their donations for. I just want people to donate. Um, But I love being able to track our new donors and their locations um, and getting a sense of the Australian lives that we save together as part of this mission so I can feed that back to the Milkshakes for Marley community. This podcast was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. I'm also your executive producer. 
Today's guest were mothers of Poppy Grace, Carly and Tresne. Audio production and welcome to country by my amazing husband, Jeff Fisher, and social media assets by Jason at Strosky Media. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend. Um, make sure that you are following us along on our socials. So on Instagram, it will come up as Kate Fisher um, at milkshakes underscore four, the word, not the number, underscore Marley, M-A-R-L-E-I-G-H, and Milkshakes for Marley on Facebook and our new website, milkshakesformarley.org. Um, and please vote and be part of blood donation advocacy um, by voting in the Osmumpreneur People's Choice Awards. You'll find links on all of our socials and on our website. And as always, I will leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prisma.